Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number six, I'm going to start with verse number 30. I'm, I'm, uh, I just depend upon the fact that you probably forgot what I spoke about two weeks ago. All right. And so I'm going to give just a little bit, a little bit of a recap uh, since we're doing this every other week. So I'll give a little recap and then we'll, we'll go. But John 6 and verse number 30, uh, this is our setting of Scripture tonight. The Bible says, They said, therefore, unto him, What sign shewest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What doest, what doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. Tonight, I want to speak to us along this subject. When you get it, commit to it. When you get it, commit to it. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray again. Father, I need you tonight. God, in this place, Lord, in this Bible lesson, I pray, oh God, we know according to your word that your word will not return void. It will go forth and do that which it was sent to accomplish in the lives of the people. I pray, O Lord, tonight, God, we have great confidence in that. God, let your word find its mark. Let your word find its place. I pray, O Lord, tonight, let it accomplish, God, that which you desire, that which you, Lord Jesus, want in our personal lives, Lord, collectively and individually. In the number and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. When you get it, commit to it. For a little recap from last week, last time that we studied the Gospel of John, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the multitude was interested in what, remember, what Jesus did. And then uh, they seemed to be absorbed with uh, what they might be able to do in order to accomplish the works of God. So two things that they honed in on, what he did and what they might be able to do in order to accomplish the works of God. And Jesus' response to them was very simple and yet plain and instructive. And he told them that the work of God uh, is that you believe on him in whom he hath sent. 
And I taught then last week, then between what Jesus did and what these people thought that they should or what they ought to do was the who. The who, Jesus Christ, what was primarily and paramount, paramount really was the importance of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked a little bit about how a sincere relationship uh, with God is approached as conformity to the image of his son, right? Uh, greater than anything else, greater than trying to attempt a list, if you will, to fulfill a list of expectations is being conformed to the image of his son because conformity involves us adopting those beliefs as our own. Conformity involves uh, changing our behavior. Quite different from compliance, right? You remember conformity, compliance. Compliance is meeting a standard, uh, and you don't necessarily have to have any agreement in order to meet the standard. As a matter of fact, many times compliance all is very impersonal because many times people are compliant because they just are trying to escape future consequences of not being compliant, Right? And so uh, when we've, we've just really dipped our toes into the shallow end of the pool, so to speak, if we're just merely living to escape future consequences, all right? Uh, but you've taken the plunge into the deep end of the pool if you're living your life in such a way because uh, your lifestyle and your behavior and your beliefs are all being driven by the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was last week. Everybody said last week. So a little refresher course in just a few minutes, right? And so the Bible says the Lord has spoke all this to them and explained this to him them in no uncertain terms, of course. And then we come to our scripture reading, starting with verse number 30, and it seems like him telling them that they need to concentrate on that who, right? Not what they did or what necessarily he did, but the who. It seems as though the people either didn't get it or they're not admitting that they got it. Because they come out of the chute after Jesus emphasizing that they need to concentrate on the who. They come out of the chute asking, show us a sign. Right? Show us a sign. What doest thou work? I mean, he tried to break it down for them. What doest thou work? And the reality is this, folks. They didn't need another sign. They had many signs. There were many miracles. Signs and things that had taken place that had or should have been at least proof enough for them uh, that he was who he said he was, uh, but yet they ask yet again for another sign. But here's what I come, come to realize just in real, real life, right? Uh, saying that maybe sometimes people don't get something or at least they don't want to admit that they got it. That sometimes when people don't want to admit what's evident, they ask for more proof just as a way to stall accepting what's right before. In layman's terms, they call it this, playing stupid. They really know, but they're going to ask, act as though they don't know. Because if they can act like they don't know, maybe they can get out of something or don't have to accept something or don't have to come to a certain level of, uh, you know, uh, a certain level of answering, you know, to whatever it may be. It's kind of like two small boys, you know, that uh, one of them is trying to prove to the other boy that he's stronger than he is. And so he goes over to something, he lifts it up, Brother Fred, and he looks over at the other boy and says, can you do that? And the other boy comes right along him, he lifts up the same thing, right? 
And then the other little boy, the first one goes to something else. He lifts up on something and he's like, but can you do that? And the other little boy comes along and he, he matches the other boy's strength and ability and he lifts up on that. What is going to happen in that scenario? i tell you what's going to happen. The first little boy is going to keep on lifting up on something and asking the other little boy, can you do that? Even though he has already seen, it seems like this other little boy's strength matches his and his ability. Why is that first little boy going to do that? He does it because he don't want to admit the reality. He's just as strong as I am. <laughs> and so they're saying, what, doest, what, what work doest thou? Not because they needed some extra proof greater than what they already had. But they didn't want to accept the reality of what they already knew. He's the one. He is the Almighty. Because let's consider tonight, if they accept Jesus Christ, then they'll have to accept everything about him. His teaching and so on and so forth. So when they ask for another sign, again, it's just a way to delay accepting what they already knew to be evident. It's their way if I can say it like this, listen to me very carefully. It's their way of getting the do without accepting the who. Amen. And so it goes on in Scripture that the Lord speaks to them. All right, he speaks to them. And, and they had this conversation back and forth. And they bring up the idea. They say, the Lord said, uh, our, 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 fathers, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. And we were thinking here for a moment, you know, this almost seems a little left fieldish in a little way. But uh, according to my understanding and studying, I guess the rabbis, the teachers at that day and age taught that when Messiah came, that he would duplicate the miracle of manna from heaven. And so that may be one reason why they referenced, hey, our fathers ate manna from heaven in the desert. So if you are the who, then show us, you know, the sign that we need. But let's not forget for a moment, it had not been too many verses back within the same chapter that Jesus had taken a meager portion of fish, right? And a meager portion of bread and multiplied them to feed 5,000 men, not including uh, women and children. And yet, I guess that wasn't good enough, <laughs> you know? And let me say this, someone that is not desiring to accept the who, it doesn't matter what the who does, it'll never be good. Amen. And so I guess it's not good enough because, you know, that he started with bread from earth, <laughs> I guess. You know, we're, we're asking for bread from heaven. And so lest they put too much confidence, of course, in Moses, uh, who directed them concerning the man and how to gather it, although he received his direction from the Lord. Jesus reiterates to them, hey, the bread that your fathers did eat, he said, that came from God. In case you blur the lines and want to say it came from Moses, that came from God. He said, but there is a true bread from heaven as well that the Lord wants to give you. He's telling them, don't misunderstand because you, you, you must understand the Jews and the people, you know, they thought very highly and they revered and they respected Moses and rightfully so. 
I mean, he came down from the mount with the law of God in his hands. Uh, he led them out of Egypt, right? Amen. Through their wilderness journeys. Uh, he lifted up, as we've seen already in John, that serpent in the wilderness that all who would look to it, they were made whole uh, of their affliction. And he did all those things, but he was not God. Amen. And so the people trusted Moses. And so Jesus told them on more than one occasion, he said, listen, he said, if you, if you uh, will believe Moses, then you ought to believe me because Moses wrote about me. So if you believe Moses, you should believe me. And so he just don't want them to put too much emphasis on Moses. He wants them to understand that natural, that bread of heaven, a manna came from God, but there was a true bread in this hour that he was wanting to give them too that came from God. Now look, John does something interesting in his gospel. He gives authenticity to some of the things that he's writing about. What I, when I say that, I mean this. He called it the true bread. He's already in his gospel has spoke about some other things. In John chapter number one, he emphasized the true light. He's talked about in John four about to the Samaritan woman, the true worshipers. Amen. And so now he says true bread. In John 15, he'll talk about the true vine. And so the fact of the matter is this, if, if, if there is a true, then there must probably be a false. Meaning this, not all light is true light. Not all worship is true worship. Not all bread is the same. And so Jesus attempts to direct their attention again to the who. He tells them that the true bread from heaven a.k.a. the bread of God. He tells them the true bread from heaven is he. Look at it in verse 33. Is he which came down from heaven and gives his life to the world. He's conveying to them that the bread isn't a what. The bread is a who. Amen. I'm not trying to get into the Dr. Seuss stuff here. All right. He says it's not a what, but it's a who. So God gave manna in the wilderness. And God gave, listen to me, God gave manna now in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven. Brother McGee, seriously, yeah. Because consider if with me for a moment, manna of the Old Testament, why as a coriander seed where they came upon it, they called it manna. The word manna means within itself. What is it? God gave manna in the man, Christ Jesus, now. Because as Jesus wanders upon the earth, even now, you know what everybody is asking? Who is he? There's a lot of questions going forth about his identity. They say in certain portions of the scripture, what manner of man is this? Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? They plainly ask him, who art thou? Some say, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this Mary's son? Amen. He's asked before he goes to the cross, art thou the Christ? Others ask, art thou the king of the Jews? What are they doing? Just like manna, what is this? Who is this? What is this person's identity? So the Lord has given through the man Christ Jesus manna, bread from heaven, bread of God to them right now. And so as he explains to them that he is that bread, they say then in verse 34, here's their response. I'm, I'm almost tickled and the way I said it when reading is the way that I just almost feel of it. Lord, evermore give us this bread. <laughs> it's like, come on, 
bring it on, Lord, evermore. Give us this bread. Amen. But that's very similar if you begin to think about it. That's very similar to how even the Samaritan woman responded at the well when he was talking to her about a well and he was talking to her about water that had very much more deeper significance. And she said unto him, she said, Sir, give me this water that I may thirst not, neither come hither to draw. They're saying, give us this bread. She said, give us this water. In John chapter number four, amen, it was water that he was referring to. Now, amen, the, the, the analogy changes. It's bread that he's referring to. But he plainly is telling them, I am the bread of life. Amen. The common man saw the carpenter's son. The common man saw Mary's son. But Jesus tells them, I am the bread of of life. And so therefore, yes, I have come from heaven. And not only that, according to the scripture, I've come to give my life unto the world. I don't know if they really realized that, that the moment that that babe was born, his life was being given to the world. It would culminate in Calvary. It would culminate with the blood that was shed on the tree, ultimately given there. Amen. But the moment that he was born, he was given his life for the purpose of the world. The Bible says in John 6 and verse 35, look at it now. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So Jesus is presenting himself in the gospel of John, not just John 6, but even prior to. He's presenting himself to the people as everything that they had formerly depended upon. What do you mean? Because along the way, Sister Sheila, we have seen himself, seen him as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. We have seen him, if you destroy this temple which they thought he was talking about the literal one, but he's talking about the figurative one. If you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. They depended upon the temple, but he's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the temple. Amen. All of the ceremonial water for purification. Amen. He is trying to convey to them everything that they have formerly depended upon. He wants to become that to them. The temple, the water, the bread, whatever it may be. He said, you're dependent on all these things. He said, I want you to depend upon me. Come to me. Amen. Believe on me. You'll never hunger and you will never thirst. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse number 6, one of the Beatitudes, it said, blessed are they which what? Which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Which plainly interpreted is and define righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. For they shall be filled. And so verse 35 states that he that comes to, here it is again, getting back at the who, he that comes to him and believes as John has conveyed it in the gospel, believe meaning to trust, to commit and obey in not what he does, but in him shall never hunger or thirst. He's trying to get him. He's guiding them back to the who. Because the benefits of not hungering and the benefits of not thirsting in reality is just a spillover effect of coming and believing in him. 
Craig Keener says it like this. He says, in the whole of John's theology, true coming to Jesus implies more than just initial faith, for it demands perseverance. In other words, it's more than just, uh, there's more to it than just coming to God. It's persevering after you come. In other words, after you get it, meaning the who, then commit to it, the who. Amen. Does not the Bible say in Matthew 24, but he that shall endure, everybody say endure, but he that shall endure unto the end, the shame shall be saved. In Christianity, we're not talking about just starting the race. We're talking about finishing the race. We're talking about finishing the race. There was a, a man, a German. His name was Friedrich Nietzsche. We say that in English. I guess it's supposed to be Nietzsche. He was an atheist. He's an atheist. Who, in even one of his writings one time, he declared this. And it took the world by storm, not just in Germany. He declared the death of God. But this writer, many people have read him, uh, Eugene Patterson, who wrote the paraphrase Bible, the message, the message Bible. Eugene, Eugene Peterson rather wrote that. He said he was reading uh, Friedrich Nietzsche one time when he was young. And he said he came up on a sentence that, that caught his attention. And he said in his reading, he came up on this sentence. And it is this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be, watch this now, there should be a long obedience. Everybody say long obedience. Long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something that has made life worth living. In other words, we must be in it for the long haul. And amazingly, Sister Grace, this was penned from an atheist that at least came to the realization of staying with something long enough for a long enough period of time to have a sense of perseverance. Peterson would later, later write in his book, I read his uh, book, a book this year of his called The Pastor, but he would write, later write in a, a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And whenever he wrote this, he submitted his title to his editor. His editor didn't like the word obedience. He said, we, we, we really don't want to entitle your book with the word obedience in there, the connotations and everything. And so uh, Eugene uh, Peterson wrote to him and said this. He said, well-meaning people tell us that the Christian gospel will put us in charge of life, will bring us happiness and bounty. So we go out and buy a Bible. We adapt Edit, sift, summarize. We then use whatever seems useful and apply it in our circumstances, however we see fit. He says we take charge of the Christian gospel using it as a toolbox to repair our lives or as a guidebook for getting what we want or as an inspirational handbook to enliven a dull day. But we aren't smart enough to do that, nor can we be trusted to do that. The Holy Spirit is riding us into the revelation, the story of salvation. We find ourselves in the story as followers of Jesus. Jesus calls us to, be, to follow him and we obey or we don't. This is an immense world of God's salvation that we are entering. We don't know enough to use or apply anything. Our task is to obey, believing, trustingly obey 
simple obey in a long obedience. What I'm saying is this, folks. What we need in our Christian experience is an obedience that doesn't just start at repentance, baptism, and filling the Holy Ghost, but one that has a longevity. That goes beyond repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because when we talk about perseverance, it is important to mention this tonight, that we can go away or leave the, the Lord without ever physically leaving the church. Your heart, our heart, can be far from him while yet in this building. I'm afraid there are numbers that have never missed church and yet they've missed his presence. They came, but they never believed. They came to him, but they never believed, trusted, or committed to him. Amen. And so he spoke to them then very plainly in verse 36. He says, ye also have seen me, he said, and believe not. He says, you've seen me and you believe not. The Bible says in Isaiah 29 and verse number 13, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near, amen, near me with their mouths and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear, or more appropriately, their awe. All right, we're not talking about a fear as in a phobia. Their fear or their awe toward me is taught by the precept, precept of men. What I'm saying tonight is this, from Isaiah, even Penny said, they're drawn near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Here's the fact of the matter that I have understood in my Christian journey. When a person's heart is far from God, their fear or awe toward God will wane as well. Amen. When their heart starts to depart, they lose their all of who he is. Amen. It is something. Look what even Isaiah says. This, this all wanes because now it's not genuine as it once had been. It, it's something now. He says this fear of the Lord or this all of the Lord. He says it's something now that must be taught as a precept of men. In other words, it becomes now a conscious instruction that men have to teach other men. Here, you're supposed to show all to God. He said, but whenever they were near to God, accepted God as who he is, no man had to teach him to be in all of the Lord because when you knew God to be God, you're in all, all by yourself. It's almost second nature. You are in just wonder and bewilderment of the majesty of who he is. He says, but when people get away from God, they got to be taught by men to have all for him. Amen. Amen. The natural response is just, wow, when you consider God. John chapter number 6 and verse number 37. I'm turning my back on you all. <laughs> Let me get something to drink here. John 6 and verse 37 and also that's going to be a disaster. Put the lid on that. <laughs> and verse number 44 as well. I want to put these two together. They're here in the same chapter. I want to put these together. He says, Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Look at verse 44. Jesus also says, No man can come to me 
except the father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus says, all that the father giveth me shall come to me, namely because no man can come to him unless the father which sent him draws them to him. And Jesus says, him, he gets singular there in verse number seven, him that cometh to me. He says, him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. In other words, as many as once come to the Lord, he will not refuse or reject anyone. All right? It means regardless of their race, their nationality, their past, who they are, what they've done, anybody that truly comes to him in sincerity, he will not refuse. He will not reject. I want to put a little disclaimer here. This has nothing to do with the end of the world judgment. This is not him saying anybody who comes I'll never catch judgment on in the end of the world. No, 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 no. It's whoever comes, whatever their background, race, or creed may be, he says, I'm not going to refuse them. I'm going to give them my attention. They're going to have the equal opportunity that any other individual in the world has. I will cast them not out. Verse number 38, for I came down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. All right, we get that. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, even with the Lord, right? Amen. Pray him that if possible, let that cup pass from him. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, which would have been the will of the flesh, but thine will, the will of the spirit, be done. I'm not coming to do my own will. I've come to do the will of him that sent me. Just follow along here. We're just kind of tying a verse here, tying a verse here. John 12 and verse 32, Jesus speaks and says, and I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Verse 33, this he said signifying what death he should die. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. Well, how is that possible? That if he be lifted up, he'd draw all men. But no man was drawn into him except the father drawn. But he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of my father. Going to Calvary, dying on the tree was fulfilling the will of his father. And therefore, the father calls a drawing impact because his will is being accomplished through the man Christ Jesus. Look at this. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 10, this is quite strong. Amen. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Other translations say that it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the Lord's will to crush him with suffering. And so all men are drawn to Jesus if he is lifted up, if he is hung on the cross, if he goes to Calvary, and he does. And the moment that he does that, he's doing the will of his Father. And he, Jesus Christ, is that true bread, that bread of God that he spoke of that giveth life. Unto the world. Wonderful. Then we go just a step further. And we come to verse number 39. And this, he even defines, is the Father's will. It's not only going to Calvary and being lifted up as Scripture teaches, but he says, this, this is the Father's will which hath sent me. Oh, you're going to have to just kind of journey softly here with that of all which he hath given me. 
I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Surface reading of that one isolated verse would almost make a person think that all that comes to him is the Father's will, that he lose none of them, and he's going to raise them all up at the last day. Meaning that they come to him, they can never depart from him. Wrong. Wrong. That's the mindset of most of society today. After you come to God, you can never be lost after you get saved. Tell you what, it's been rough on me the past couple weeks, some of these things I've pulled out of the Bible here, I'm telling you. Now look on verse 40. Verse 40 is giving clarity and further explanation to verse number 39. Because it almost sounds quite similar, actually. Look at it, if you will. For instance, and you don't have to flip back and forth, Brother Zach. You'll, it'll be like a strobe. Someone fall out or something. So. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me. Continue in verse 39. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Verse 39, but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40, and I will raise him up at the last day. Real similar. Real similar. So Jesus says that it's the Father's will that none should be lost from those that are drawn to him or given to him and that he would raise them up at the last day. However, Verse 40 tells us, well, look at it now. There's a switch here. That each person that sees Jesus and believes and commits and trusts and obeys him have everlasting life and will be raised up at the last day. Verse 39, listen to me very closely. Verse 39 points to the responsibility of Jesus. Verse number 40 points to the responsibility of each person. That is drawn to him or that comes to him. Someone say amen. Let me tell you this. Jesus will lose none. Everybody with me? Jesus will lose none. But that's not to say some will not vacate Jesus. If I lose my child... I left it somewhere. But if my child vacates or leaves me, he or she have left me. Jesus will lose none. If they are not there at that day, it won't because he lost them, but they have vacated him. Someone say amen. amen. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2, verses 20 through 22. Oh, brother, that can't happen, brother. Yes, it can. We have precedents throughout Scripture. And I'm not going through all that tonight. We'd be here for 30 more minutes. But we have precedents throughout Scripture. Yes, it can happen. Amen. This is just a small glimpse. The Bible says, for if after they, speaking to people who were false teachers, but at one time they were not false teachers, all right? It says, for if they have escaped the pollutions of the world 
through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The words are quite strong here in the book of Second Peter. They escaped the pollutions of the world, the scripture says, but are again entangled therein. Amen. Someone say again. Folks, we're speaking about salvation. These people had, whenever it says they knew, they knew or had a knowledge of the Lord, amen, or that they knew him. Again, we did this when we was in our second Peter study. This is not just a knowledge that's a mind knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge, meaning they have experienced the Lord. They've had an experience of the Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not just information. Amen. It's not just not the word of God that they can quote. No, they have had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ and he's become their Lord. He's become their master. Their life was not their own. There was a point where they accepted him as Lord and their life was not their own and they belonged unto him. But the Bible says somewhere along the way, he didn't lose none. But they vacated him and they became again entangled in the things that they once. If you're entangled, if you're again entangled, you must have been entangled before. They're again entangled, amen, to some of the things that they once had escaped from. What has happened? They have fallen back. They have returned to previous lifestyle, previous activities, previous things. Amen. Hallelujah. They had known the truth, but now they have turned from that, the Bible says. They, they have forsaken those holy commandments. Right? And so then the proverb is true as he ends there in verse number 22. And note it says proverb, they're one. That about the dog and the sow, it's one proverb. He doesn't say proverbs, he says proverb. And the proverb is true. The dog returns to his own vomit again and the sow to wallowing again. And so the proverb is this, they went, amen, they went and returned to a state that they formerly left behind. Amen. J.E. Grace says it like this. He says, man was created as a free moral agent. And we were. We know that from the Garden of Eden. He said, don't eat of the tree, which indicates they had a choice. Free moral agents from the beginning. He said, man is created as a free moral agent with a self-will and the freedom of choice. Man has been given the power of deciding for himself. Whether or not he wants to follow the plan of salvation as outlined in the second chapter of Acts. Listen to me. And once he has made the decision to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and allow the Holy Ghost to enter into him, he alone decides whether or not he will continue to serve the Lord. I'm talking about when you get it. When you get it. Commit to it. He says eternity. Listen to me tonight, church family, and those online, please very plainly. Eternity 
is based upon a man's condition and relationship with God at the time of the Lord's return or at the time of death, whichever comes first. Does someone hear me right now? It's based upon your relationship and your condition when you die or when it returns. That's the reason why we jokingly say sometimes we wish sometimes after people got baptized, filled the Holy Ghost, we just knocked them out of this life so they could go on into glory. It's not about what happens in the moment. It's about the moments after the moment. And ultimately the moment when you perish. Amen. The Bible says, and I'm hastening to a close. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9, if you'll stand with me. Scripture says, not willing that any should perish. Wasn't willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Let me say this. It's a daily thing to come to repentance. Repentance is not Sister Malin just you know, like one little check buck on our list next to baptism and, and Holy Ghost that we check off. And when we've repented them, boo! No, 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 no. If, if the Apostle Paul paralleled Jesus' death to repentance and Jesus' burial to baptism and Jesus' resurrection to the Holy Ghost, Paul then made the statement, he said, I die daily. Now, it's evident that he's not talking about he died in the flesh and resurrected every day. Although some of you, when you go to bed at night and get up in the morning, may feel like that. Amen. What he's talking is about is repentance was a part of his daily life. Why? Why? Because it was more than just his start. He had a race that he needed to run with forbearance. It was more than just a moment. It was all the moments that came after that moment. He died. He repented daily. Not willing that any should perish. If I can say it like, not willing that any would be lost. I mean, that's the heart of God. Not to lose any. Not any to perish. But there's the human will. God's will, not to lose any. Human will, some will not want to be lost. And some will live their life. Although they don't want to be lost, they'll be lost. Because they'll live it in such a way that is contrary to the Lord. So when you get it, the who, you need to commit to him. All your heart, mind, soul, activity, every portion, part, none off limits. We are not our own. We need to belong unto the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray here tonight. Father, I love you, Jesus. Father, I love you, Jesus. Oh, God, we need you today. We need you today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.